Welcome to the University of Young Entrepreneurs. My name is Brandon Adams, lifestyle entrepreneur and inventor, passionate about helping others with creating something great and becoming unforgettable. Each week we discuss helpful tips on becoming a successful entrepreneur and interview other entrepreneurs and inspirational people. Our goal is to help take your business and lifestyle to the next level. Now let's get started. Welcome back to the University of Young Entrepreneurs. I'm Brennan T. Adams, and on today's show, we have Kirsten Ross. Kirsten's going to go over the experiences she had when she was a part of the team for Thin Ice. They did an Indiegogo campaign that raised close to $600,000. I figured this would be perfect since Young Entrepreneur Convention is doing an Indiegogo campaign right now. We're doing crowdfunding, so I wanted to give you guys some more insight about crowdfunding. You know I'm the crowdfunding guy, and I'm actually going to start a podcast in January specifically towards crowdfunding, but I wanted to bring Kirsten on and give you guys some insight right now. So you're going to hear her experience. When they first did the campaign, it actually failed. The second time around, they did about $600,000. She talks about her experiences doing that. We go through my fun formula, the whole process of everything they did to reach that goal, and we even talk about how they got, in 24-hour span, when they got featured, sent out to the email list, they did $150,000 in a 24-hour span, which is crazy. just blows my mind away. But if you're looking to do a crowdfunding campaign or you're just curious about how to do a crowdfunding campaign, this is the show for you. You're not going to want to miss it. And if you haven't done so already, please check out our campaign for Young Entrepreneur Convention. Go over to Indiegogo and Young Entrepreneur Convention. We're in the small business section. I believe we're still trending. Pleasure a campaign. Get tickets to the awesome event April 22nd and 23rd. I'll be speaking. John Lee Dumas will, speak in, will be speaking. You have Ken Shamrock, Des Woodruff, and we're about to announce some other big names for that. We just got a big sponsor from Zarly Law Firm. Thank you so much. If anybody out there looking to do any kind of intellectual property work, check them out. Zarly Law Firm. They helped me with my patent for Arctic Stick and three trademarks and also another patent. They are awesome. Great group of people over there. Check them out. And uh, yeah, so let, let's get into the show. And you guys can learn about crowdfunding. You can hear the whole story. Maybe you guys can raise the money you need for your idea. Let's get started. Welcome back to the show. On today's show, we have Kirsten Ross with us. How's it going, Kirsten? Awesome. How are you? Good. I'm excited to have you on the show and hear about your story with your crowdfunding success, everything you're doing, especially with the campaign that you had launched and actually failed, and then you launched again. You guys raised close to 600 grand, which is awesome. So first off, tell me how you got into crowdfunding. What made you want to get in the crowdfunding world? Um, honestly, I didn't know what crowdfunding was up until a couple of years ago when I went to a networking event when someone was talking about it. And I fell into crowdfunding because I'm a startup advisor and I help companies bring products online. And when I met Adam, who is the founder of Thin Ice, the, uh, the crowdfunding campaign we're talking about today, he was just playing around with the idea of doing a Kickstarter or Indiegogo campaign at this point. And he, because I'm really great with digital strategy and he's the ideas guy, we thought to partner up and attempt crowdfunding, which at that point, neither of us knew anything about. 
So it really just started from an idea and my background being a startup advisor that I just thought I wanted to try something else. Yeah. So, yeah. And then, so you got into crowdfunding. I mean, I, I was like you, you just kind of study and it's like, what is crowdfunding? And then, well, you want to raise money. It's a perfect way to do it. Yeah. So what kind of uh, studying did you do in the market to learn about crowdfunding? Well, there's this great article, which you probably know, uh, Tim Ferriss's Hacking Kickstarter. How Number to one. Yep. Nine days. So we studied that to figure out what were things we should have spent our time doing. And we followed it to a T apart from the clout research they wanted us to do because I think clout is uh, you can't search the same way you could have in 2011 yeah. for uh, finding influencers and, and all that stuff online. But we started, uh, we had two girls helping us doing the research phase to build a big media list according to the niches that we wanted to get into. And because we took a look at our product and thought, okay, so it's tech, it's wearable tech and it's weight loss. So what, you know, where are we going to find these people? So we thought of like fitness bloggers, gadget bloggers. We just thought a whole bunch of those things. We made this like huge list, a huge pitch list of people that we could reach out to. So that was a good like six weeks before we did it. We were focused on uh, building the media list, getting a big launch party together because we wanted to have like 300 of our closest friends to come to this big launch party and that would set us up at having a, a huge raise in the first 24 hours and then the video and so those were like the big, big points that we, we started with. Um, I think we wasted a lot of time because at that point you're just following a couple of blog posts and you're following it step by step, but you don't really know what's the highest impact activities. So we spent like all this time doing stuff and the first campaign we raised, we had like a a goal of $50,000 and we only raised 16,710, which felt horrible considering like we were putting in 80 hour weeks. Oh yeah. Weeks before this thing launched. How many people were a part of the team? We had uh, five part of the team. So it was myself advising uh, Adam being the founder. We have uh, the videographer. We had an animations guy and then a team as well. So, so let's let's talk about first off, what do you think were the biggest things you did wrong that allowed you where you didn't succeed on the first time around? Well, where we – I'm really sorry about the background noise, by the way. It's all good. Yeah. Uh, usually it's always pretty quiet. today biggest things well uh the launch party was is the biggest thing that stood out in my mind we uh what we really wanted to do was put on a really good night like you guys did with with your campaign with free food free drinks and in exchange for that we would ask them to pledge a minimum of like five dollars towards a campaign and if you do a minimum pledge of $5 with 300 people, we should have been off to a great start. And our whole plan was to have uh, Wi-Fi working and people walking around the room with iPads collecting pledges. Except the Wi-Fi in the venue didn't work. <laughs> so we ended up raising $55 from that launch party. Oh, man. So the bill was about like three to four thousand dollars for that launch party and we raised 55 whoa yeah 
Whoa. Yeah. yeah. I, I know. I mean, things always seem to go wrong when, when you're doing something. But so that was one of the things. Your launch party didn't work out. But what yeah. other things do you did you fail yeah. to prepare to do that you were so, surprised by? Yeah. The next the next two or three biggest things is that we had banked on the launch party giving us that boost that we didn't have a plan for getting traffic to our page in the first couple of days because we had heard that you're supposed to get 30% raised in the first 72 hours, but we didn't really have a plan to get that. We just thought, yeah, launch party will get us our 30%, right? Yeah. That's going to happen. So our, our next thing is we had worked with one company who had promised us the world that they would take care of our they all do social yeah. media everything and um i know this guy might be listening to this but anyways don't trust one company to do the most important part especially if they're 20 years old and don't have a lot of experience so be careful who you hire this guy i think oversold himself and um, because we had put you know a bunch of trust into him he also butchered our plan for getting traffic. So we basically, if you look at our traffic profile, had no way of driving traffic in those first three days. Yeah. So those are the two biggest things. And on top of it, whatever traffic that we did drive to our site, uh, we didn't get we didn't get a lot of people looking at our page before we launched to get the opinions of who are like um, who would have been buying our stuff. We didn't get like, feedback from your potential yeah. audience and prior to campaign launch. Yeah, so we didn't get any of that. We just had these, like, we just had the team thinking, yeah, this looks good, and we didn't get feedback. And we only got feedback once our campaign started to tank. And out of desperation, we were just like, what is going on? And that's when we uncovered a lot of problems with our communication and how it was it was being marketed as the opposite of what we wanted it to be portrayed as. Yeah, what was it? What would be marketed as? as if you- so because it's weight loss clothing, it can come off as a gimmick. And if you market a weight loss thing as a miracle pill or a miracle cure, it's going to be a gimmick. And we didn't want that. We want this to be a lifestyle focus. So what you'd be getting on the page is you see like a lifestyle guide for how you can integrate cold temperatures into your everyday, how you can uh, add good diet and exercise regime to this. And that just, we completely missed the mark on that. It was just coming off as like, you'll never need to do anything but sit on your couch and wear the vest. Yeah, I I completely get it. I get it. So you guys got done with your campaign and you raised what, 16,000. You failed to reach your goal. After that failed, what did you guys do to replan? What was your strategy after that? And what did you learn from that? So we took the feedback from the marketing to completely gut our page and redo it. Um, we realized that we were putting a, too much focus on the insole and we weren't giving a lot of light to the vest, which is the product that a lot of people are really excited about. So we redid our perks packages to equally complement the vest and the insole. Um, we changed the pricing structure. Uh, one small thing we did was we were charging Canadian or we were looking at prices, Canadian dollars. So we were charging a lot higher originally forgetting about the exchange rate. So that was turning off a lot of non-Americans for it. So we dropped our prices, taking into consideration the American pricing. Yeah. We then the 
biggest, biggest thing we did once we changed our page, because once we changed our page to get the message right, then we know that whatever traffic we could send to the page is going to convert at the, the 2%, uh, like the 2 to 5%, which is average for campaigns. Yeah. So we figured out the conversion problem. The next step was how the heck are we going to get traffic to our page? And because we had skipped the boat on 30% in the first three days, we took our 50000 goal, our $1,000 goal, and we dropped that to 15000 for one. So having a really small goal is a good hack because that's going to help you raise less money to hit the popularity algorithm that's going to get your campaign to rank on the page. And then once it ranks on the page, like if you can get to front page Indiegogo or trending, that's when thousands and thousands and thousands of people are going to see your campaign that don't know you. And that's when you really start to hit critical mass and take off. So dropping the gold 15,000, getting our conversions right, and then getting the traffic. And this is the biggest thing that we changed was we, during our first campaign, we were approached by all these like little contractors online that promised share your campaign, write a press release, get X amount of likes and whatever. And at first, like the first campaign, we're like, no, we're broke. We spent all of our money advertising the first one the wrong way. So the second time around, we got a bit of an angel investment and we had about $2,000 to work with. And we said, you know what? Let's just hire a bunch of these little random companies and see what happens. Yeah. Five of these companies... That's what happened. We we got shares and we got a whole bunch of uh, inorganic traffic come to our page and random people buying our stuff. And in the second campaign, not a single one of our friends bought. It was all <sighs> random people that didn't know about us that started to, to, you know. So what are them companies I want to know for everybody else out there? Because when you have campaigns go... People, anybody out there that's done a campaign, you know that people reach out and they say, they promise you the world. They say they're going to give you a traction and everything else. And most of them are a joke. Which ones worked for you guys in your I campaign? The two biggest ones is uh, backerclub.co. They're very exclusive with the campaigns that they take on. Um, yeah. So Backer Club and then uh, Selling to the Masses as well are the top two. Selling to the masses gave you a lot of traction? Yep. Nice. Good friends with Matt. Nice. Yeah, I think uh might have talked about this before. Yeah, no, definitely. That's awesome. And any other things, um, companies that give you any kind of attention, media attention or anything? Yeah, so Indiegogo really helped with that. Because what they don't tell you about having a successful crowdfunding campaign is that you have to look at Kickstarter and Indiegogo like a business. They're going to help out the campaigns that are making them the most money. Yes. Because if they, that's the whole reason for the popularity algorithm. If you get a, like if you have a, a fast growing campaign, a lot of people backing, a lot of shares, a lot of activity on your page, that's why you get boosted to front page. And the press that we got was because that once we hit day um, day seven of our campaign, we raised about 65000 at this point. And that following Tuesday morning, it was after a long weekend. And it was day eight of our campaign, and that's when we hit featured in Indiegogo newsletter. So we got featured in their newsletter. So they sent it out to their whole list. Yeah. Because you'll, uh, you'll see that every day – 
if you're on an Indiegogo newsletter, you'll get like a main featured campaign, which is usually the big, the quickest growing campaign on their site, and then a couple of smaller ones. So we were featured, and that day we got Indiegogo, and because of Indiegogo's internal press network, we also got the Daily Mail. Yeah. And so those two big press outlets in one day, we raised like $155,000. In two days. No, one day. Wow. Yeah. Wow. One- Talk about a success right there. That is awesome. I mean, that's everybody's dream to get the Google Factor where you get all the traction money and get featured. I mean, but traffic. I mean, that day I just woke up and was like, what just happened? <laughs> I bet you guys are just feeling so amazed with that. Yeah, because it was uh, it's amazing going from a really shitty public defeat to all of a sudden taking off and your old mentor sending you an email saying, uh, good job, you guys just made front page Indiegogo. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. So, okay, so you had the traction going there. You said the Backer Club Co. and Selling the Masses were two good uh, things you used. Any other uh, things that help you get traction um, to your campaign? That I've listed a couple of resources. Uh, they're listed in my book. I just don't remember them yeah. off my head, but we'll talk about that. Okay, definitely. So before I go into the fun formula, which somewhat may be repetitive, I first want to find out, so you guys ended your campaign, and then what did you do? What was it like after your campaign for fulfilling everything and going through that process of post-campaign? So we're still doing that. Our campaign literally ended like two months ago. Oh, wow. It's that yeah, recent. So it's wow. very, very fresh. So what we did was we did a, I think our campaign lasted 52 days for the second time. And you, did you do extension? What was your goal set at? Extension. And then you just, after the campaign was over, how did that work? Then you just, you just kept going in demand? Yeah. So what we wanted to do was we did, um, 30 days and we wanted to see how it would go but then indiegogo like begged us to to extend the campaign because we're one of the biggest campaigns at this point they want more money so they're like hey we'll get you in the newsletter again if you extend oh nice so they actually told you they'd get you the newsletter again but we didn't get featured we just had one of those small spots but still um we decided that it was worth it and we extended for 45 days uh, and then we thought that they would pull the campaign down after 45 days, but uh, you actually have to email them and request that they pull it down at a certain point. So here we are, day 46, thinking the campaign's over and it's still going. So it took like an extra week for them to pull it down. Hey, more money. Yeah. But our whole thing at this point was to uh, you shut down pre-orders through Indiegogo because we wanted to focus on fulfillment. At this point, we're uh, wrapping up the prototype and getting uh, the manufacturing started. So, what, What's well, the lead time? About a year then, probably? No, we're hoping six months. Oh, wow. That's pretty good. Yeah, yeah. So we, we had a lot of stuff figured out beforehand for manufacturing. So that was good. But what we're currently doing is we, you'll if you go to thiniceweightloss.com, you'll see a, a join the wait list for pre-orders. Yeah. So we're just building up our, our email list right now, and then we're going to blast it out once we open up e-commerce. Do they, so do they – they don't actually pay you in the pre-order. They just uh, basically give you their email so you let them know, and then they can buy it when launch. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, that works good. So you, get, you did the post campaign. You worked that. Now let's go back, and I always go through my fun formula – 
you got F for thought, U utilize marketing plan and narrative and D deliver value. So F for forethought, and you kind of went over this already. Tell me about exactly all the things you had to do beforehand to prepare for this campaign on launching on day one. Okay, are you talking prior to campaign one? Prior to, okay. let's say prior to the the second one, or I guess you could say the first one. If you were going to do it over again, what would be your whole perfect forethought launch, the so 60 days prior to launching? Okay, so now um, I think it's important to know that I was a advisor on Thin Ice, so I don't. I'm no longer working with that company because I worked with them throughout the crowdfunding campaign. So yeah. I'm now a crowdfunding advisor, and so I guess the project that I'm now focused on is uh, I break my t my projects, like you said, into a, a pre-launch and then a launch strategy. So. Pre-launch, I like to give like six weeks, but anywhere from like one to three months. The longer you have, the better because yeah. you just need to build your mailing list. Exactly. So if I could do everything again, I would build the mailing list because once you press go, you want to have as many people with eyes on your product as possible. So build the emailing list, build your social following, and make sure that you know who in your personal network you can reach out to for getting backer or becoming a backer. Yeah. So what you would do is you need to figure out who your target audience is. So I'm a huge fan of doing customer surveys. Uh, so if you have a product, you cannot figure out the wording in the video, the copy on your pay, on your Indiegogo page until you know how to speak to your customer and you don't know how to speak to your customer until you have spoken to them about what their concerns are and what they love about your product. Yeah. So the first thing I like to do is create a, pr a product survey and send it out to my, uh, well, to my client's network. Yeah. I like to... Um, so I'm currently on a smart lock project right now and their demographic are gym users. So I had them standing outside of the gym, getting surveys from people who go to the gym about the product. Yeah. And, uh, we like to incentivize it for people. So anyone who helped us out with the survey, they will get an exclusive discount, um, on the Indiegogo package that they get. Yep. So, so we just don't like bothering people. So we, we so you wanted... get you get an exclusive offer for you doing the survey. Mm -hmm. Nice. Yeah. So so you, you did the surveys. You you prepared the content. I mean, the copyright had to be based off of your customers' feedback. And a lot of times, people don't realize. I mean, you're speaking to your customer. You got to figure out what language they speak. So when you launch a campaign, you're speaking directly to them. Exactly. And so, and then pr prior, what about ambassadors? What kind of ambassadors do you target to get on board to help spread the word? Yeah, so that depends on your campaign. Um, because you, if you have a tech product, you can't send bloggers a prototype. Yeah. Because, right? You just can't do that. They'll look at your prototype and think, this is crap or this doesn't work. And then you've wasted your time. So ambassadors-wise... Um, Again, it depends on your budget, but if you're talking like a medium-sized campaign of 500000 uh, you can partner up with press to contact local, local bloggers. You could, yeah. What about influencers? Yeah. Go out for influencers too. So you're saying contract 
or contact the local press to get them to work with you to get outreach, but you got to pay for that. So if you don't want to pay for it, you pitch yourself, you need to understand the angle of why someone would want to cover you. So if you are reaching out to a blogger, for example, about your new gadget, you can do it without having send them the physical thing. You can maybe send them product photos or a blurb of what you're doing. And if they really like what you're doing, then they you can get them committed to write about you in exchange for a free product later on. You could do that if you don't have money. Um, you could pitch the local entrepreneur angle. So here in Toronto, that's quite easy. You could just say, hey, local uh, Toronto entrepreneur launching Kickstarter project. You could do that. That's pretty easy to pitch. Um, but at the end of the day, regardless of if it's a product or a cause that you're a part of, you have to enroll people in what you're doing. So it's all about having yeah. conversations and really like, I wouldn't say just because you have a prototype and not a finished product that you can't go speak to people. You have to be talking to people anyways. Exactly. So, And also how do you feel about getting people actually committed to backing? I mean, beyond your family and friends say, Hey, this is a great product and we're going to have exclusive for the first, like, I don't know, a hundred you get it at this price. Mm -hmm. Do you have you done that with campaigns as well? Try to get committed backing. You have to, because yeah. that's that's the whole part of using your personal network is getting early backers. The whole point of building an email list is so that, or prior to it, is so that people say, "Hey, exclusive discount for this amount now." But thing is that when if you have a good enough product or a good enough cause that people believe in. Just by you speaking to people about it, they'll say, yeah, I'm actually really interested in that. That sounds really cool. And then you could say, do you mind if I just add you to our email list so that you'll get an email once we go live? Exactly. You know, perfect. So, okay, so you yeah. covered the forethought process. Now let's talk about the utilized marketing plan. You covered some of that already. What are some other marketing techniques you use to get traction to your campaign? Talk either social media or what aspects, what techniques have you used that work the best? So I've only worked on one campaign that did 600. And with this, we didn't do Facebook advertising, retargeting. We didn't use wow. any online advertising besides the contractors that I mentioned before. We didn't do PR. We did everything ourselves for that. Wow. So I can only talk about the experience we have with the half a million dollar campaign. And then I can, if you want, talk about the tools that I feel are valuable. So tell me what you guys use for that campaign for your own personal as a team. And then tell me what tools you suggest. Yeah. So in terms of, okay, I'm just thinking uh, for outreach, right? For marketing. Yeah. Marketing, yeah. get attention. Okay, well, if you want to be able to locate bloggers specific to certain niches, BuzzSumo yes. is a really good one. Which one? BuzzSumo. Okay, yep, I've heard of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You type in certain keywords and locate popular articles based on it, and then you can go back and find their, who followed and who shared that. Yep. Uh, it's a great way to find influencers, too. We used... Man, there's a lot of stuff. Like we we use a tool called Compete.com that helps you find how much traffic a website gets. Um, okay, I'm just thinking of what you want. 
Compete.com. Okay, that's enough. That's good. I don't know. Marketing-wise, our biggest asset was the companies that we hired. The companies that you hired that did the marketing for you. Yeah. And that was the backerclub.co and the selling to masses? Yeah, that's right. Okay. That's I like that. So what I guess what other things have you seen before that works? So social media or anything? Yeah, so during the campaign, um, Indiegogo gives you the sharing tools. Indiegogo gives you the sharing tools that you can use to do a referral contest. So you can track who by username who has shared the campaign and who has referred people who purchased your products. So you can take this a step further and do an affiliate route. So that affiliate program... And basically, it's just going on the campaign, and since that person has an account, they can click the link, and then when they share that to their audience, it'll show track record of everything they referred, how many referrals, but also how many actually referred to a sale. Exactly. And that is amazing, because that, when we didn't have product to send to bloggers. If a blogger loved what we were doing, we can offer them a 15% affiliate commission off any sales they refer. So that's a way we could indirectly compensate them without having to pay out of pocket to pay them to, to write an article about us. Yeah. And it's just to verify for anybody, it's simple as you have to have the actual account on Indiegogo, right? Mm -hmm. And then all you do is you go to the campaign and it says link, you click on that, copy and paste that into your email, and then whoever clicks that, it's going to show that you directed them to that. Yeah, but it goes further than that. Like when you go to the campaign page, you'll see share on Facebook, share on Twitter. If I share a campaign on Facebook, it tracks that as a referral link too. So you can go Facebook, embedded link, all of it. And it's perfect. It makes it, it makes it, and that's a good thing about Indiegogo. It allows you to track it that, that well. Exactly. So, so that, then were some good marketing tips. Okay, let's go with the narrative. And maybe you don't know so much of this because it was your client. What I would say for a campaign, you need a great quality story and video. So what was the process like that, putting that video together, which I saw it was like four minutes long, which is kind of long for a video looking back yeah, on it. But I know. what, uh, I guess, what was kind of the brainstorming process, if you even know, in that aspect? Yeah, I was involved with all aspects of the campaign. Uh, if you watch the video, I'm at the very end in the bed scene. Oh, nice. <laughs> it was like filming a porno. But, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> you never uh, know what you're going to see on Indiegogo. God, right? It's uh. true. Uh, Video-wise, so our goal, we wanted it to be three minutes, but it mm, turned out to be I know. So video-wise, oh. like two to three minutes is perfect. Um, the whole... Creating a video, there are different components to it. You have the script, you have the storyboard, and the storyboard is what is happening in the background. So a lady shot, ties her shoelace, gets up, and realizes she has to lose weight. I don't know, like some, something like that, right? That's yeah. a storyboard. So creating a narrative around your script. And what we did was within the first 30 seconds, we wanted to hit on a point that – was a was a something that our audience really struggles with. 
So because our video and our product is geared towards weight loss, we have two scenes. We show how uncomfortable weight loss is because there's this guy on a vibrating machine sweating and he uh, looks yeah. miserable. So we showed the, the downside to weight loss and how difficult it is. But then the flip side, it's as easy as wearing your shoes. So next you see Jessica in the office chair just having a casual, happy day wearing insoles in her shoe. And so it's showing two extremes and showing that how with our product, you're alleviating a pain point in their life. So it's using scenes to highlight what the features and benefits of your product are without like having to actually list it. So that's the power behind a good video is being able to show. Show pain and fear and show how you can alleviate, obviously give them the result to how to solve it and make it easy for them. Exactly. Um, but the other thing is that we have to understand that if you see a lot of projects on crowdfunding, a lot of them look like product videos. And the whole point of being on Kickstarter or Indiegogo is to get that personal connection with the founder. Yeah. So people really like seeing the human side of a brand. So if you can show the benefit of your product in a good way, but also show why this whole thing was created in terms of getting the founder on camera, if that is at all possible, like that's really going to help give it the, the startup feel. Exactly. It's personable. Exactly. So that's, that's the other thing. So you guys, a great video. I, I mean, I like it. You, how you did that. Uh, the one thing I saw was just maybe a little long, but I mean, it worked. Yeah, it was a little long, but at that point, we couldn't edit anything. Yeah. <laughs> no, I hear you. So let's go into yeah. the last part. And the whole reason why people even come to your campaign is obviously they want something in return. It's the deliver value. So tell me how you came in the process of deciding how to structure your pledge levels and the cost structure and everything else. Right. So with pledge levels, it's important to have a $1 or a $5 perk. That if people don't want to commit to your product, but they still want to help you out, it's just a nice thank you. And uh, this really helps get your backer numbers up. So that's good. Because um, helping you rank on the site isn't all about how many are um, your average sale. It's also about backer numbers. So I'd start yeah. at like a one or five dollars, uh, move it up to 25, do 50, 80, 125. Uh, I believe that between 80 and 125 is the average sale on Indiegogo. Okay. So you want to have your feature product around the hundred dollar mark, so that that is your average sale and it boosts your your numbers. Yeah. So have your main thing at around 100, and then anything between like you could do around 100, you could do 300, 800. And then, then you get into a couple thousands. Make sure that you have a package that's like five thousand or ten thousand. Because okay, we had uh, our big big sale was a video package, yep. so funding video package, and one person bought it, but they never redeemed it. So we had this random person. Spend five thousand dollars, or no, uh, yeah, five k on our campaign, and they didn't reply to a single email from us. So it so there are some super backers on site that just see a project and they want to help. 
And they, so they give you money. Money, yeah. Yeah, we just had a, a for our campaign five thousand get pledged. But it, I mean, it's sponsorship, but it's still um, you you don't know. And for Indiegogo, you can do I mean above ten grand. I've seen twenty five million. I mean, jeez. Oh, that might be different in. That was for the Super Trooper one. <laughs> but amazing. Kickstarter, okay. you can't go above ten grand, but there's there's perks to each one. Uh, so yeah, so you have your structured pledge levels. Do you have a, a amount you would say how many pledge levels should you have more than fifteen, twenty, or limit? No, I feel that you should have about ten. Ten. But you should plan for fifteen to twenty because what you're going to get during the campaign are stretch goals. Yes. Yeah. Um, the thing is that if you hit that momentum, after about 10 days into your campaign, sales will slow down and you need to give people a reason to come back to your site. And that's where stretch goals come in. So you can offer, you can incentivize it and say, hey, we've, we've raised 125000 If we get to one we're going to introduce this awesome product or this new feature or this new accessory. Um, so you want to have different ideas so you can introduce those perk packages, but don't put all your cards down at once. Exactly. I like it. So so you guys added pledge levels as you went? We did. Okay. That's good. Yeah. So you went through the deliver value. Now, let me hear from you. Obviously, you're Indiegogo girl. What are the pros and cons between Kickstarter and Indiegogo? Well, Kickstarter is very picky with what campaigns they take. Yeah, I, yeah, exactly. I, I've got denied before, and they are they are picky. Yeah, so it's funny because so the, Indiegogo basically takes anything, which works in our favor because they although Indiegogo gets less traffic, um, the traffic is roughly the same because you find the different the same types of projects on either platform. Um, because Kickstarter is so much more. Um, rigid with who they take their success rate is higher on that site but what you don't see on indiegogo is that there are two types of ways to fund on indiegogos um there's flexible funding and there's fixed fixed yeah so if you do flexible funding this skews your numbers a little bit um because flexible means that you, as a founder, having a project on Indiegogo can keep all the money you raise even if you don't hit your goal. Yep. So fixed, if the campaign is not successful, no money changes hands. Yep. So that skews the success rate between the two platforms. Do you, um, do you think, it? let's say you know you're going to get your goal, do you think there's a, a mindset between the backers if you're having fixed or flexible because they may think that, hey, they're going to get it either way? I don't think the backers know about it. I'm not sure how... Good point. I mean, most people probably don't think much about it. Obviously, we know about it. Yeah, because uh, during the campaign, we had backers email us saying, like, I'm concerned to back because I've been screwed by yeah. crowdfunding campaigns in the past. How likely is yours to succeed? And I basically said, you know, any campaign that says fixed or uh, flexible... Fun, no, fixed funding... As long as they have a, uh, have hit their goal or whatever, then that's going so you, to happen. So you were were you flexible or are you fixed? We were flexible. Okay. The first time around. So in the second time around, you did fixed. Uh, we no, we did flexible as well. Okay, so let me ask you this: for the credit card, because when you do 
And I've found this out too. When you do the fixed funding, you have to go through a PayPal account to do it. Anything over 500 is, I mean, it has to be PayPal. Now for the flexible, you can do credit card. Now, how do you see that for hindering sales? Because I've seen that personally where people have problems. It's frustrating for them because they don't have a PayPal account. We, okay, we had no problems with transaction. We had problems with returns. Returns, okay. Yeah. We had like, so 4,000 backers, obviously, some are going to come back. Uh, we had two people come back to us that said, hey, I just bought this and I can't pay my rent. Can I have a refund? Or whatever reason that they, they needed a refund during the campaign. Unfortunately, Indiegogo manages PayPal, so we had no way to give them a refund. So how does that work then? We had to wait until after the campaign and then, and then pay. we got paid from Indiegogo oh, okay. to do that. But that's, you know, um, people feel like, okay, well, I'm paying this company, but it, the money's actually going to Indiegogo. So there's a bit of a, um, that, so that's not very clear with the management because they're a, like a third party that manages everything. Yeah. So. No, that makes sense. Well, you've obviously given a, gr a lot of great content and you know your stuff. It's always fun to talk with a fellow pod or not podcaster, but a, a fellow crowdfunder <laughs> and yeah. podcaster. Uh, but yeah, so where can people find you, Kirsten? Yeah, so I just actually wrote a full case study on Thin Ice. So if you want to see like exactly what we did to change it um, in text form, you can go to crowdfunding.entrepreneuruncut.com. And there you'll be able to download the ebook. Um, that that's probably it. Like it's just going to be a little more detail that we can cover in a thirty-minute interview. Yeah. But, no, that that's awesome. Well, hey, yeah. thank you so much for coming on the show. I really enjoyed it, and uh, we'll talk to you later. I hope you enjoyed the show with Kirsten Ross. I had a lot of fun. I enjoyed her story and all the great insights she gave on crowdfunding. Anytime I can talk with somebody that knows about crowdfunding, I just love it. I love surrounding myself with a bunch of crowdfunding junkies because it's what I live for. Go over to the notes, BrandonTAdams.com. We got more information about her, everything on the show. And also, before we go, I want to let you guys know there's Startup Weekend going on all across Iowa right now. There's one in Cedar Falls, Iowa City, Sioux City, Ames, Iowa. I'm going to be speaking at the one, the Startup Weekend in Cedar Falls on Friday. That's tomorrow. Starts at 5 o'clock, and I believe I speak at 7.30. Go on for about 10 minutes and talk about Young Entrepreneur Convention and give a little motivational note before everybody goes and pitches. They have 90 seconds to pitch, and they all go to try to win a prize and at the end on Sunday, they announce it. But if you're in the area, check it out. It's a great opportunity for any entrepreneur, especially if you have an idea and you want to pitch it. But come meet me and a bunch of our group for the Young Entrepreneur Convention. We'll be at the Startup Weekend, Cedar Falls. That's tomorrow at 5 o'clock. It starts, and you can go online to check everything out, and we'll have on the notes there more details about that. So that's it for today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. In the meantime, go out there, create something great, and become unforgettable because life is too short not to. I'm Brendan T. Adams. Have a great day, everybody.